Hey everyone, Greg Meskel here. Thanks for joining us on another episode of What's Good. We must love a good comeback story here on What's Good because our latest guest making her way back, Olympic diver gold medalist, Laura Wilkinson. Laura, thanks for joining us. Ah, thanks for having me on, Greg. I appreciate it. Laura, speaking of comebacks, I talked with another Olympian making her way back, Chelsea Memel, a couple of weeks ago, and I'll ask her the same question, or I'll, I asked her the same question, I'll ask you, why now? What is it about uh, your sport and about the Olympics on the horizon that makes you come back and want to dive again? Well, I actually started back in 2017, so this isn't like brand new for me. Um, I retired in 08 because I wanted to be a mom. I was already 30, one of the older athletes uh, in my event, in my sport, but you know, I I, it was always in the back of my head. Like I didn't retire because I felt like I was done diving, but it was because I wanted to be a mom. And so that, that thought of coming back was always kind of there. And I, I dabbled on springboard in between having kids, but the timing was just never right until about 2016. Um, my coach said, Hey, you should just come play sometime. Just have a little mommy time, like away from the kids, like just some time for you. And so I, I started coming in like once a week for like an hour, just to touch the water and play. And um, things just started coming back quickly. So that's, that's the time I really started thinking like, maybe this could be a possibility. So it kind of slowly progressed over a year. And um, next thing I knew I had my 10 meter list off and I was competing again. <laughs> you know, it's hard just talking with different Olympians. I, I always fall into the trap of thinking in those four year spans and thinking like, well, if you're going to try something, Thing. You must have your eye on the Olympic Games, whatever the next one is. When you were going back just to kind of play and have fun, were you thinking, oh, maybe Olympics? Or was it purely just kind of an exercise and fun thing? I mean, there was a thought of, I think, doing some of my dives, but not so much the Olympics, um, you know. And so as I started to play around and like things were coming back quickly, um, you know, I, I asked my coach if I'd be crazy to try to do 10 meter platform again. And he said, no. Um, so we kind of, after the 2016 Olympics, my husband said, look, you know, we were at this just good time in between jobs and things. He's like, we have time. I can stay with the kids. You go try this for the fall and just see if anything comes of it. And by January I had my dives off. So it did kind of, you know, we're like, well, let's just see where it goes. And then it just, quickly turned into that because I think we're just wired this way and it's it's like okay I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do it all the way <laughs> is there a moment or memory that stands out when you're just getting back to diving where you quickly realize wow I can I can do what I used to do um probably when I got my dives off I mean it wasn't exactly the same as it's oh it's like riding a bike it's like yeah rusty bike that needs some WD-40 you know but I kind of remember how to do it you know there were definitely some snacks um so that was kind of like that wake-up call is okay do I want to keep doing this and feeling this way but um you know I, I think once you hit something big again you're like okay I know what I'm doing like that just it feels good. It just wakens up something inside of you. And it's just, it's fun. It's like when you, when you feel like it's something that you're made to do, it just, it's very fulfilling inside, you know, even if it's not the same quality, like it's just, there's something about flying through the air and flipping. Like I just, I love doing it. You know, competing is great, but I just, I love the training. I love doing it every day. Well, and, and I think you have to, it's interesting people that don't follow diving or aquatics, your specialty has been the 10 meter board. That's usually the one where people go into a large aquatic facility. They say, not that one. They look at maybe the lower <laughs> ones. They'll try that. Or if they're feeling really courageous, maybe a pencil drop off the 10 meter, if they're going to try and have some fun, what, what sort of physical toll? And I know that you've had surgery not too long ago. What sort of physical toll does being proficient in the 10 meter take on your body over time? That's a good question. Yeah. A lot of people are like, oh, it's water. It's not a big deal. But when you're hitting from the top of like a three-story building, you know, you hit it 35 miles an hour and it feels like a brick wall. So it definitely does take a toll. Um, arm, like shoulder and wrist injuries are very common on 10 meters 
your lower back, things like, like, you know, if you hit a little looser or something like that. So that's very common. I've had a couple of wrist surgeries, but I did have a, a two level cervical fusion on my neck. Um, so about a year and a half ago, and that was, that was really traumatic. It was like, can I come back from this, you know? And so that was, kind of trying and it was likely from all of the just impacts from over the years I did over a decade of 10 meters. So, um, you know, that does wear and tear and, you know, coming back was really slow. I mean, it took me a full year to get back up on the 10 meter and start doing dives again. Um, just cause you know, it was scary. It was stiff. It hurt. Like I just wasn't sure. Like the surgeon kept giving me the go ahead. Everything looked good, but it's still, it's a scary thing to walk through when nobody's really done that before. So, um, yeah, it, it took me, we took our time. We were trying to be smart with it. Um, but you know, it's, it's been good. I started competing again earlier in 2020 before all the COVID shut down. Um, so I definitely was getting back into it. So I'm kind of excited to, to be able to ramp back up again for next year. Yeah, there have been some great articles. I encourage everyone to check out stories on CNN and teamusa.org all about Laura's comeback. But if there's ever a time, even after you're done with whatever this next journey of diving is, where you're feeling a little down on yourself, please pull up the photo of you doing leg lifts on a pull-up bar wearing a neck brace. They're, they're, <laughs> that's such a badass photo of like, in addition to having a gold medal, to say like, look at what I'm doing here. You're still making it happen. And I, I saw that and I was like, wow, this is someone who's not to be messed with. <laughs> um, yeah, I like a good challenge. I think that's uh, pretty obvious. But, you know, I mean, it's, I, I can't, I can't, I keep thinking, oh, it'd be great to relax for a while. But I, I sit down for a day and I go crazy. Like I can't, I can't sit still. I think I can, but I can't physically do it. I just have to be doing something, trying something. I love to push the boundaries. I love to find out just what I'm capable of. You know, when I, when I think I've done it all, like I find somebody else who's done something more and I'm like, Ooh, I want to try that now. You know? So I, I love that. And I feel like I'll never conquer all of it, which means I will always have something to try. And some people hate that. I love it. Cause it means there's always going to be something more for me to do. No, totally. Keeps things exciting, keeps things fresh. One of the interesting things in talking to athletes, even, even those that haven't retired, but say they just get later in their career, they learn so much more about their body, how it works, how to train. What, what do you know about now at 42 that maybe you didn't know at 20 or 25 when it comes to being your best at this? Um, that a lot of people say it's 90% mental, but nobody trains that way. Um, and when you're an older athlete, you have to train more that way. Like you can't recover as quickly. You can't maybe put in the same amount of physical hours, but you don't need to because your body knows what to do at that point. You just have to keep your mind in the right place and like, make sure you're recovered and make sure you're you're doing everything you can to optimize your performance because your body doesn't react the same way as it does when you're younger, but you know how to handle it better. So it's just, it's just kind of a different thing. Like you've got to put in those hours early so that when you're older, your body can still roll with it. Olympics postponed a year for a lot of people. That was a really, uh, to put it lightly, a bummer moment, right? They were, they were so ready to go. For someone like you, though, I, reading the articles, it kind of gave you a little more extra time. How have you kind of looked at that uh, delay to kind of do your benefit? Well, you know, there were a lot of mix of emotions. Um, and I mean, it considered a gift for me because I wasn't. Athletes who were primed and ready to go, maybe planning on retiring or going to law school or a job or just moving on with life after that, because that, I mean, that just, that was like a just brick wall right in front of everything you'd planned on. And that's hard. That's hard to pivot from when everything was depending on that. So I really feel for those athletes whose, whose lives or livelihoods um, got really messed up by that. Like that hurts. And I feel that. Um, but for us, where we go, like, I never thought I'd be 42 years old going, sweet. I have an extra year of throwing my body off the three-story building. But, um, you know, like I said, I was just coming back before the shutdown. And so 
um, I, I feel like I was trying to slide into home plate, you know, like maybe I would have gotten there, but it would have been tight. And now I'm hoping to really build up some strength and um, feel a lot more confident going in this year instead of just kind of getting my dives off and, and trying to sneak in there. I want to go in confidently um, into this next year. So I think, I think that's a good thing. You know, it gives me time, not just physically, but mentally to kind of get into that where, you know, I, I recognized some of the things I needed to be doing, but I, I wasn't able to fully implement them in time. And so now I have, I have that gift of time to do that. Assuming, fingers crossed, everything does happen the way it should next year. We do get the Olympics in 2021. A after those games, if we look ahead to, say, September of next year, how do you determine what, what will have been a successful last 12 months? Um, I mean, honestly, if I just go in and, and do everything to the best of my ability, whatever that looks like, you know, if that's first place or that's fifth place, I mean, it doesn't, I'm not really riding on a place or a score or a medal or anything like that. Like, to me, I just my goal has always been, it was, it was in the early years. I want to do the hardest dives, the best of my ability in the moment. Like that's always what I dreamed of, you know, and I, I was always pushing the limits and that's what I want for myself now. Like, I don't know anybody else, you know, in my sport doing this at my age. And to me, that's, that's a great challenge. Well, what can I do? How far can I go and how well can I do? And, and so I think if I compete well, you know, and I, I hold myself well, um, I have integrity with how I'm training and how I'm competing. I mean, you're always going to walk away, maybe even satisfied or not with your finish, you can always walk away satisfied with how you did and, and what you did in that way. And that's also what I want to teach my kids is like, you know, I, I come home, I came home with a third place medal at the meet when COVID shut down. They're like, well, why isn't this gold? <laughs> you know, like, okay, we don't, you don't win them all. And if you were winning them all, you're not learning anything. Like it's important to fail sometimes and to learn and to grow and to see what you need to change to move forward. And, and I love taking my kids on this journey with me. Like we're going to have some highs and we're going to have some lows, but this is how we have to handle it. And it really, it forces me to, to hold myself to that integrity because my kids are watching and they're listening to what I say and they're looking at me. They, they love to see my Instagram stories and my posts. So I have to make sure I'm upholding it to, to something that I want them to live up to as well. I, I can't just tell them what to do. I got to live it. I have to be the example for them. And, and that's really something that I am enjoying about this, the, the ups and the downs, they get to do it with me. Yeah. I love that you hit on the perspective that they've given you. If you think back to how you would train leading up to Sydney or Athens or Beijing, are you, are you doing it a little bit differently? Do you process your good days and your bad days differently knowing they're watching? For sure. Because <laughs> sometimes I'll think I'm just venting to my husband and like a little one is like sneaking over. I'm like, okay, all right. So maybe I'm not having the best perspective on this. You know, what would I tell my kid to do? And it really, it's really convicting sometimes, you know, of, of okay, well, I, I'm maybe not doing the best job at this all the time. You know, it's, it's easy for people to see like posts on Instagram or social media and be like, wow, they've got it all together. They've always know like how to handle this. Now it's just such a great attitude, but like life is lived in between all those little snapshots, you know, real things happen happen. And people who have it all together, they still have feelings. They still get scared. They still get hurt. They still go through the stuff. And it's how you handle that and how you respond to it. Instead of just reacting, it's how you like wisely respond to things that really matter. So I, yes, I, I love and hate that my kids are always there watching. Um, cause it's, it does, it makes me, makes me accountable, but that's a good thing. It makes me grow as a person. And then on the other side of that coin, and I think people have come up with the idea of self-care and making sure you're looking out for yourself even during the pandemic when it seems like everything is so bleak and dire but um how how important has it been to have this thing for you like you're obviously committed to your family and everything else you have going on but how key has it been just to have a thing that you're working on for you um 
I mean, it's good. Like I, I don't buy into the whole self-care things. I mean, okay. I, you do have to take care of yourself, but there's a point at which like, it's all about you and that's not okay. Cause sometimes the best thing you can do when you're having a pity party and when you're feeling like the victim of something is to go serve somebody else mm -hmm. and to go out and, and be beyond yourself. And a lot of times that's what brings you back. And so like we talk about a lot of times, I feel terrible today because X, Y, and Z, what can I do for somebody else? Because I'm going to make their day better and then realize maybe my stuff's not that big of a deal, but it, it there's nothing that makes you feel better than, than doing something that lifts somebody else's day. And so, um, you know, I kind of, I kind of waffle on the self-care because you do have to take care of yourself. That sure. is crucial. Um, but there's, there's a line, you know, and you got to be careful on that, but it, it is nice being able to, to have this thing that I love to do and be able to take care of my kids like that. I do like that. I don't know if I, I loved being a stay at home mom. It also kind of drove me a little crazy. And so I think having something where I can do both, you know, like it's kind of almost like a part-time gig and then I get to be a mom too, you know, cause mom is full-time no matter how much you're working on the side. So I kind of like the balance of that as much as it is balanced. Sometimes I just feel like I'm throwing a bunch of plates in the air and seeing which ones stay up, you know, but, um, yeah, it's, it's good. It's, it's kind of a crazy time, but I mean, I like crazy. It's a good challenge again. <laughs> I'm sure it's different for a lot of people, but as you mentioned, 42 this year, you'd be 43 next year in Tokyo. Why, why don't more athletes keep diving to this point in their life? Cause it's hard. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a, there's a time where your body just, I mean, a lot, a lot of times it's just your body gives out on you and it can't do it anymore. And I totally get that. I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm pushing that edge, obviously having a cervical fusion and I have like nerve damage and things like that. Um, my wrist doesn't bend, you know, there's, there's these things. I mean, every athlete gets something if you're, you're at that level, that's totally normal, but um, it's hard to continue to push your body. And so I think a lot of times our body fails before maybe our minds want to, but then there's also that a lot of people have a, a career in mind or something they want to do beyond the sport that they're doing. And so there's that desire too, or they, they want to just be a mom full time and, and stay home with their kids, which is such a beautiful and awesome thing. So sometimes you have to make a choice because being an athlete at the elite, like Olympic level, it's like a full-time gig. So it's really hard to balance that with something else. So, um, you know, it's really cool to, to, to know people like Chelsea and then like Shantae Lowe, the high jumper who are also elite athletes trying to go for the Olympics who are also parents. It's, it's really kind of nice. We've got this little group that, you know, I, I can, you know, go to now and say, Hey, how do you handle this? Cause like, I'm not doing this. Okay. Or how have you, you know, managed to, to get this down because I haven't quite figured it out. It's nice to have a few other people who are now going through that as well to, to kind of rely on and have a little support group. What, what do you think would be your biggest hurdle to getting back on a podium next year in Japan? Um, I, it's physical. It's really just kind of my body being able to withstand the amount of training that I need to do. So as long as I'm physically good, I know I'll be there mentally. This year marks 20 years. It was actually just last month. The Sydney Games were held in September that year, right, given, given the uh, changes in weather in Australia. Um, a big, to put it again mildly, Olympics for you, it, a crowning moment, right, a gold medal. I'm sure it's come up more now as we're looking at another Olympic Games. But when you think back on, on those games and, and just your result and how you came back and all that went with it, what, what comes to mind? What are some of the immediate emotions you feel when you think back on it? First of all, it's weird. It's been 20 years. <laughs> I'm like, are we old enough to say that? That's so strange. Um, 20 years is like a lifetime. I mean, I was only 22 and it happened. So um, it's a really weird thing to say that it's been 20 years. 
worked because sometimes it feels like yesterday. Sometimes it feels like it was a long time ago, but um, I'm really thankful that I've been able to tell my story over those years because those lessons are like coming back into play now. And, and the, the lessons that I try to teach other people from, I'm taking in again and I'm having to learn from again. So it's really, it's reassuring to know that I went through some really, really hard stuff and a really few crazy months and a crazy year and a crazy Olympic event in order to stand on the top of the podium. And I really take that to heart now, like those moments that I went through and like, um, it's just very relatable now with what we're going through, with what we're dealing with. Um, and that it wasn't the end. Like I, I shattered my foot in three places, three months before our Olympic trials. I only had two weeks in the water before we competed for a spot on the Olympic team. So, you know, having physical injuries now and having limited pool time and pool access and things like that, you know, I'm just remembering, well, what did I do then? What was I doing then? How was I focused? How did I get through it? You know what? Okay. I focused on all these good things, but you know what? I remember wanting to give up. I remember being really frustrated, wondering how this was going to get me to the Olympics, wondering how this was all going to work. So like those feelings and having those thoughts are okay. I don't have to be like, block them all out. I can't think about any of that. Like it's human. Like we're human. We fear, we, we have these irrational thoughts and, and things come in and scare us. And it's okay to, to recognize those. It's not okay to dwell on those. So it's, it's good for me to recognize I have been through this and I have gotten through this. And so I think it's just really kind of motivating and encouraging to me um, to know that I've, I've walked this before. This is, this is, even though it's a new path, it's not a new path. You know, I know how this goes down and um, I know I can hang with it and I can um, give it all I got and, and something really cool can happen. And if you haven't seen it go on YouTube, you can see the video, Laura wearing the sneaker just to get up to the platform to dealing, dealing with the injury and then executing and really coming from behind. It's such an inspirational story. You had hit on earlier training. People talk about it being mental versus physical. In that moment leading up to 2000, the physical part is a problem for you. How key was the mental to know that you could still do it? Well, it was everything. I mean, I can, I can look back now and say that I probably would have made the Olympic team had I not gotten hurt because I was one of the top divers. I was pretty consistent in the US, but I can pretty much guarantee you I would not have been on the podium if I hadn't broken my foot. It made all the difference. Um, and, you know, obviously I didn't know that at the time. I thought it was traumatic. I thought it was terrible. I thought I was watching all my dreams just go down the toilet right in front of me. Um, but my, my coach was really wise in thinking outside the box and forcing me to do all of these things every day with the time that I would normally be training. I was spending all that time doing mental work basically and mental training and it really paid off in huge ways and not just me getting back in the water and 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 remembering how to do my dives quickly but like going through a lot of crazy stuff during the actual finals at the Olympics and knowing how to roll with the punches and stay within myself and what to let in and what not to let in and how to encourage myself when I got scared or when things seemed hard you know and so um, now I'm taking into that like we don't have a 10 meter platform right now um, so we don't have any access because things are closed everywhere. And so um, it's kind of hit or miss to, to find something to train on. So I've been going back to a lot of the modeling and like visualization that I was doing and a lot of video study and just really like sitting there and like thinking on my dives and like remembering what senses I used and what I looked at and how it felt. And, um, you know, thinking about who the competitors might be going through neat scenarios in my mind and, and really going back to that like basic, you know, mental stuff that we did at the beginning that nobody else was doing that we kind of really did we're making up on the go you know that has really paid off dividends and and I'm just trying to bring that back and really kind of focus on that I teach others how to do that now as well which has been really cool and it also reminds me you know the more you teach people like the better you know something so I'm like okay who else can I teach this to because it just helps me even more as well there there's so much pressure at the Olympic Games and you went on to compete in three of them and hopefully a fourth what what benefit was it in that you hadn't been to one it was your first and not that you weren't experiencing it in real time all the pageantry in the village and all of that other stuff, but, but you had no Olympic 
memories to either use for or against, what was the benefit to being a rookie? Um, well, fortunately, I had been to some big meets. Like, I'd been to a world championships, and I'd been to what used to be the Goodwill Games, which was a, kind of like a top world meet, too, um, with a big live audience. So I'd, I'd been to a couple, you know, so I kind of had that that feel for it to be. But obviously, the Olympics is like that on steroids um, when the whole world is watching and not 17,000 people in the stands. So it's a little different. But I got some really, really good advice from one of my coach's um, former teammates. She was a Canadian diver. My coach was from Canada. He competed for Canada back in the day. And she was at the Olympics in the 76 that was in her home country, you know, in Montreal. So, I mean, I, I can only imagine being like at a meet in the U.S., like where it's your home country, it's the Olympics, it's everything. But she said she was kind of so freaked out by that. It was just this massive amount of pressure and she just cracked under the pressure. So she told me um, right after the trials, I had met her and she said, look, go in, love the Olympics, soak it up. You're at the Olympics, you're at this dream, like love all of it, go see all of it, like let it in, soak it in. But when it's time to compete, let it go because it's the exact same thing. There might be more TVs. There's more people watching, but it's, it's just a diving meet. You're doing the same dives you've done a hundred times. You're competing against the same people you've competed against. Like nothing changes there. So when you get into it, you got to let all the other stuff go. Soak it at the beginning. So it's fun, but then let it all go and just do your thing. And that was probably the best advice I could have gotten because I was able to enjoy the atmosphere and like kind of let it, you know, excite me and, and, and pump me up a little bit, but then also at the same time, like let it go and do what I was made to do. And so that to me was the, the best advice. Um, and, and I took that in going into the next ones. Um, 2004 is a little frustrating because I did have that pressure of being like the reigning Olympic gold medalist. But honestly, no matter how many people tell you that it's what you take in yourself. And unfortunately I took some of that in. And so I kind of cracked on one dive that cost me a medal and that like Oh, that just kind of like gets to me now, but I love that I recognize what happened and I learned from that. The next year I came back and won the world championships. So, you know, you, you learn through those things and, and I went to three Olympic games and I only won one medal. So it's like, it doesn't, doesn't make those other Olympic games irrelevant or not important, or I don't wish I hadn't kept going. Like I learned so much and I, I did so many great things going into those and I had great experiences, but knowing that I had won always made it worth trying for because I know dreams are possible and dreams can come true. So they're worth fighting for. And if you don't get them, like amazing things still happen and you'll be so much farther along than you would have if you didn't have those big dreams you were chasing after. Yeah. I've heard more than one Olympian say just even after they've won something, it's still my dream, right? So I want, you know, my dream is to be an Olympic gold medalist. I may have done it once. It doesn't change. I still want to do it again, you know, and especially to your point, when you've had that experience, you know how great it can be and you know mm -hmm. what, what it can all entail. So it's understandable that you'd want to do it again. You mentioned your coach and in the Sydney victory, you have this kind of comeback where you progressively climb the scoreboard to kind of get up to the top spot. How do you explain the importance of, of that coach athlete relationship, especially in something like that? When you watch it on TV, it feels very, very isolating. It's just you and the coach, maybe conversing a bit and then it's back up to make it happen again. How vital is that relationship? Uh, it's really important. And I, I mean, I've known Kenny Armstrong since my first day on the pool deck, he was my first coach and he's still, he's still there at the pool today. We have other coaches as well. Um, but he's still there, which is really, it's almost been 30 years now, which is crazy, but he is really special. And, and when I hear about other like amazing coaches around the world in different sports, he has a lot of the same qualities. Like he gets to know his athletes really, really well. So he knows how to push your buttons and how not to, like, he knows kind of how to, you know, move those chess pieces just so. And he knew me really, really well going into that Olympic games. And he kind of knew when to push those buttons. And before like my fourth round dive, which was when I had really struggled with, 
he pulled a big card. Like he, instead of coaching me on the dive, he totally told me to do it for my friend Hillary and he walked off. And that was a, a teammate that we had that I'd lost in a car accident three years before. And so I'm like, what? Like, this is the most important moment of my life and you're trying to make me cry, you know, but I trusted him and I knew that he knew how to push my buttons. So I was like, all right, I, got, I have to think about Hillary. And it, as I was walking up the platform, you know, I started to think about conversations that we'd had and um, she had been an Olympic level gymnast. She'd been at like world championships and things like that. And she was the first alternate on the 92 Olympic gymnastics team. And she started diving a year later at the same time I did. And I remember talking to her because the Olympics had been my dream since I was like a little kid. And I remember asking her, would you try to go to the Olympics for diving? Like, would you go to trials if you qualified, all that kind of stuff. And she was like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I could come that close and not make it again. I just don't know if I could handle that. But if anybody on our team is going to do it, I think you're going to do it. And it just kind of reminded me in those moments that like, although I thought this was just my goal and this big dream that I had, I realized that it was so much bigger than me. You know, this had also been her dream. And like these kids and teammates that really supported me through breaking my foot and through like doing imaginary diving up on 10 meter for 10 weeks, you know, I mean, I had this group of people that were supporting me through this whole thing because I was probably their shot at this. You know, not everybody gets to go to the Olympic games. Not everybody gets to be in the hunt for a medal. And I knew in those moments, like, I was their shot, you know, and it wasn't this like pressure. It was kind of like, I have, I feel like I have this great power behind me, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden the stuff that scared me before didn't scare me. And I wasn't worried about the pain anymore. And, um, I went after that dive I'd been struggling with really with everything I had. And it ended up being literally the game changer that I think, uh, made me win the medal. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up that story. I was going to ask you about it because I read that in, in a recent article I know you've talked about in the past, but I was thinking as I read that, wow, that is a move. For, for a coach to make, and you only, to your point, he pulled a big card, you only say that if you know that athlete super well. <laughs> I mean, in the moment it works for you, is that a thing where you reflect on it after, maybe after the podium or after those Olympics are uh, over, where you kind of realize that he doesn't say that if he doesn't really know you and understand you well, right? I mean, that's a, that's a risky move. It's a very risky move, but I mean, it was kind of a risky moment. Like it wasn't, yeah. it was a dive I was struggling with. And I think he knew that like, I had to go after it and I had to realize how important it was. And so he went there and, and, but you know, he knew I would trust him and he knew if he brought that up, I'd go there, you know? So that was, that's that relationship. Like people, you, people get so frustrated with their coach, but if you can't trust your coach, maybe you're not in the right environment. You know, you've got to be able to trust your coach and be coachable in order to like do those things that you need to do. Your coach is trying to make you the best athlete that he can, you know, so you've got to have that right fit and know that you can work well with them both, you know, be humble enough to accept corrections and to accept those hard things they might say to you because they want to take you to that next level. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the mechanics of what makes a good dive. If you, if you think of one that you executed in your mind perfectly, whether it was a gold medal or just in practice, what is that feeling? Uh, like mechanically? Sure. Um, maybe, maybe mechanically and also just emotionally, spiritually, physically. Yeah. Oh gosh. There's so many layers to that. <laughs> um, I mean, there's definitely like a lot of technique in diving. Diving is a very like highly technical sport. Um, you know, it's not just kind of like we got to be close and stick it. Like you have to be very, very accurate. And the higher up you go, the more like a tiny miscue can make a bigger issue on the bottom. So, um, but really when you get into a meet, you can't be thinking about 15 different things. You've got to be able to, to focus in on like one or two like key corrections that you have to make. And then really you walk to the end and you try to let it go. 
like you think about it back here and then you walk to the end and you've got to just let your body take over. If you try to like manhandle it too much, you'll probably overcorrect something or overdo something. And so there's that balance of, of making the correction, but then also letting your body do it. It's, it's this weird, weird balance, you know? Um, but the feeling when you just know every once in a while, sometimes you put your arms out and like, you just know what's about to happen. And that to me is the best feeling before you even go, like you just know you're going to bury it. And like you hit it, there's the sound that your hands make as you hit, we call it a rip entry, but there's this like sound as you're going through and you can hear it when you hit and you're under the water and it goes from this really loud sound to just like deafening silence under the water. And then you come up and all these people are cheering. And that's just like the best feeling in the world. Even, even in a practice where it's been like just me and my coach, I come up and he's screaming and going crazy. And like, that just, I don't know. There's just something so fulfilling about that, whether it's in a meet or in a practice, it just, it feels so good to hit that big dive. Now in a meet, you, you complete a dive, you come up and then you're, and then you're waiting on scores. How, how often, uh, is there a disparity between how you feel about what you did and how it's scored? Are those usually, do you usually have a sense of the result you get and you feel like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Or is it sometimes off? I mean, generally, you know, and like our sport has done a really good job in kind of training the international judges. They have a lot of judging schools. And if somebody is going too high on a certain country or something, they will remove them. Like they, they've got a lot of good checks and balances in there as, as much as a subjective sport can be. I think they've done a really good job with that. So you generally have an idea of, of where it's going to be. But I mean, you can't always see it when you're doing it. You think it was good, but you don't know quite know how good maybe until you see the scores. Um, but really at the end of the day, like you can't, you can't worry about the scores because you have no control over that. So, you know, you really have to control your controllables and let everything else go. So you do the best of your ability and you kind of let the, have to let the chips fall where they may and, and trust that that was it, you know? And even if that puts you in the place that you don't want to be in, I mean, you have to like hold your head high and just know that you did what you needed to do. And, and that's gotta be enough at the end of the day is your, one of my favorite quotes from, I have, I'm a big quote person. I love quotes. And one of, one of the ones I picked up when I was really young was the reward of a thing well done is to have done it. And so yes, our goal is to get gold. Our goal is to stand on the top of the podium. Our goal is to get tens. We have all these goals, but at the end of the day, if you feel really good about what you did, like that's the best reward is walking away, just feeling fully satisfied that you worked hard and you did everything that you could do to the best of your ability. And you can't ask anything more of yourself, really. No, and that's, and that's a great way to put it too. It kind of can, can bring some closure to the effort that you put forward on something as well. Um, I, I haven't covered a ton of diving, but at a meet a couple of years ago, I remember watching and I'm not well versed in all the mechanics that you spoke about, but I watched a couple of the dives and it felt like I could identify when it had gone really sideways or when it was really good. And in the middle was hard to pick up. And there was a U.S. diver and I thought this one went okay. And it was not a great result for him. He was very unhappy. And afterwards I asked him, well, where, where did that dive go wrong? And he was like, you saw it, you know? And I was like, well, I don't exactly know. And this leads to my question, when in the midst of a dive, do you know trouble, trouble is ahead. We, we don't have this one the way, the way we want it depends on the dive. Sometimes, you know, right off the beginning, like oh, I kind of scooted or I, I didn't get the height I needed. So, you know, you're going to be in trouble, like Mayday trying to make it around all the way. Or if you're on springboard, um, I mean, the board is a big factor because it, it moves if you're not in rhythm with it. If you get too far on the side, if there's wind and you're outside, like there's so many other factors on springboard too. Um, yeah. So, I mean, sometimes right away at the beginning, but definitely as soon as you kick out, like if you're in a small tight, like tech position and you come out at that point, you generally know if you're going to be on or not, but it's, it's really quick from that point, kicking and down. So 
yeah, it, it all ha it's, it's amazing though how like 2.2 seconds can happen and it feels like it takes 10 minutes sometimes in the middle of the air. You know, it's crazy how fast it goes and how many conversations you can have in your head at the same time. <laughs> have you taken any interest in the, I think they're calling it maybe super high dive. I've seen it at FINA World Championships a couple of times and it, it looks way scarier than 10 meters. It is way up there. The dives, right? They have to piece them together at a different facility because there's only a few of these massive high dives. Is that at all appealing to you? Something you've done in the past? As a fan, I will be a huge fan. And I have a lot of friends that are doing it. And I told them I will always cheer them on. I'll be their biggest fan, but there is no way I'm ever going to do that. 10 meters was hard enough for me to get over. And uh, yeah, I'm a little too old, I think, to start something brand new at this point. At least that's my decision. Um, yeah, but I will. I, it's amazing. It's amazing what they do. And a lot of them were former like platform divers. And mm -hmm. so they've, I've seen them you know, on the national circuit or the world circuit. So it's kind of fun to see them transition into that. And the amount of, and I've talked to a few of them and it's really cool to see how they've upped their mental game. And it's, I've actually I was talking to one of my teammates about this the other day that um, it's encouraging to me as I can't find a 10 meter platform to train on right now that I'm piecing together the tops and the bottoms and all these different things. And like, that's what they're doing. And they've gotten really, really good mental and like knowing I'm doing my my entry work here I'm doing my takeoff work here and then I'm gonna get there and put it all together and so I'm like okay they can do that I can do that on a much lower level you know so it's it's been really inspiring from from that sense like getting to see how they have taken the mental game to a whole other level um, and that's encouraging to me like if they can do that I think I can do it on this level here too yeah really really impressive stuff and you're right the the, the same kind of style can apply uh, just a couple more here for you Laura this has really been interesting um, I read this in an article, I love this quote or this line about how you kind of push the envelope on uh, different moves and techniques. She's made the world work towards her goals, right? So maybe you didn't meddle in 04 and 08, but you kind of push the envelope forward on degree of difficulty. That's not a medal, but it is really cool that you have made the sport more difficult. And it's also kind of your entry back, right? Feeling like it hasn't progressed much further than when you last left it. What's that degree of difficulty game like and how much has that drawn you back in knowing that it hasn't gone, you know, 20 years ahead from two that well, I mean, we're almost 20 years ahead, but it hasn't gone, say, decades ahead in the in the area of difficulty. Right. And that, that's actually one of the reasons that I thought it was possible for me to come back because I didn't have to do all these dives I'd never done before. Um, and so, yeah, so from 2000 to 2004, the difficulty increased dramatically. Like people were playing with stuff before 2000. I was playing with harder dives before 2000, but everybody kind of like watered down their lists a little bit because you didn't need it. Like people were doing bigger dives, but not hitting them. So people went with easier degree of difficulty, but they were hitting everything for nines. And so that was like the game in 2000. But in 2004, people said, okay, we're, we're taking a step up and they were starting to hit those bigger dives, um, but not necessarily consistently. And so I was, I had learned this whole new list of dives going into 2004. And I was kind of playing catch up because I took off time to have surgery on my foot, to finish school. I went back and, and finished my, my last year of school. So I kind of really got back in 2002. And so I kind of felt like I was playing catch up, like learning all these dives, um, but got there. I did pretty well. Um, I had won the World Cup at the Olympic pool, like going into the 2004 season. So I felt pretty good, but I wasn't super consistent. Um, but I was kind of in the mix with everybody, which felt good. But then a year later, when I was kind of deciding, okay, well, do I keep going? Do I just go through world championships, try to end on a better note than I, I did in Athens? Um, 
Well, I ended up winning world championships and then I was goofing around like the next day. And I, I tried a lead up for this reverse three and a half, which was a dive that only like one other girl had done. Um, and it went really, really well. So I competed it two weeks later at nationals and got really good scores on it. So I was like, well, maybe I'm not done. And that fall, I learned like two more hard dives. And so we really, at that point just started to push the limits. And I, and that's when I was like, I want to see how hard of dives I can do to the best of my ability. And that was, you know, kind of, it was a really hard couple of years trying to like navigate that and get, because I mean, doing huge dives, it's, it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of mental drain. It was just a whole different ball game, you know? And so going into 2008 at, at our Olympic trials, I actually hit a score in our semifinals that would have rivaled for the gold medal in Beijing. Unfortunately, like that was at Olympic trials. Um, by the time we got to the Olympics, I was a little bit injured. We've been through a lot of other stuff um, politically within our sport and things like that. But, um, but I can look back and say like, that felt really good that I, I did finally hit that, that goal I was looking for. I hit all these huge dives in one list, put them together at the trials. Like, and that, that's what I walked away feeling good about. Well, coming back now, the girls, and, th and this is not an insult to the girls that are diving now by any means. There was just this group of women who decided to like up the ante and none of them are diving anymore. You know, a few did springboard after that, but none of them are still around. And so, you know, it's just this new crop that, that didn't quite get up to that same level. And I was like, well, I, I mean, maybe I can learn some of those dives again. And so when I got my, I got my list from 2004 back um, in January of 17 and I was like, okay, I can do that. And I even, even got the reverse three and a half back later that year. And so that's kind of what I've been doing is I don't need those super hard dives that I was doing in 2008, but I can do my 2004 list with maybe even an additional one, um, you know, from like right after that. So it's, it's kind of cool that that gave me the ability to kind of, I feel like stay in, in play and, and maybe be in the hunt. So if it had, catapulted you know on a whole other level you know maybe we've been like oh it was fun to play but that's not really going to happen you know so it just the timing has been really interesting if, if you haven't been asked this already a hundred times you will be in the next year but what what would a medal 21 years after your last one at the olympics mean to you ah uh, i mean it'd just be crazy <laughs> you know um we've been through a lot in the last few years and so um, I mean, part of this journey, you know, I, I've mentioned for my kids and, and uh, walking this with my children is really cool. But then also just, I feel like I've really been called to this. Like, I feel like no matter what I've done, I've, I've been like, God, if this is the path you want me on, like, make it really clear. If it's not like close the doors. And every time I thought doors were closing, it's like he'd open one. And I'm partly like, really? Like, you really want me still doing this? You know, are you sure? Um, but he's always made a way when there didn't seem like there was a way. And so it feels very clear to like my husband and I, that this is the path that I need to be on. And he has continued to show me that like when I'm weak, like that's when his strength is made perfect. And that's when his light just tends to shine the brightest. And so I'm not scared of maybe being the oldest or, you know, having an arm issue or not having access to a platform or it looks, my odds maybe look really bad on paper, but here's the deal is they've never looked good on paper. They didn't look great on paper going into 2000 either. You know what I mean? So he has a way of showing up in that and just trusting him with that. Like maybe he wants me to win a gold medal. Maybe I'm not going to make the Olympic team, but mm -hmm. whatever that is, I know I'm where I'm supposed to be and I'm doing what I was created to do. And that is fulfilling in a way that nothing else is. Very cool. We end every one of these with three what's good questions that are really kind of apart from your sport. And it's funny, we hit on this earlier, but the first one, talking about the idea of self-care, but I've, I've asked everyone this during the pandemic, what's something you've done for yourself? So if you can be a little selfish here, and maybe it is the diving, or maybe it's something else, a show you watch or something you do to unwind, what's something just for you? Um, I de we definitely binge shows, my husband and I, it's like, as soon as we can put all four kids down, you know, we're like, okay, how much time, how much time do we have before bedtime? What can we get in? You know, so we've, we've gotten into, I never saw big bang theory. So we, mm -hmm. I've been obsessed 
obsessed with Big Bang Theory lately. That's that's the new one that we're on. <laughs> and then what's what's something that you've done for someone else? Um, whew, gosh, we've done a lot of things. Um, I'm trying to think in the last six months though, it's been a little hairy. But we've we've definitely whew, so we've we've I know. It's like where do we start? So we've kind of helped a lot of people through um just kind of working through COVID stuff and, and doing a lot of like Zoom calls and meetings and reaching out to people who are just freaked out, you know, and just don't have anybody or they're extroverts and they need people to talk to. I, I could not tell you how many Zoom calls I did with friends or groups of friends who just needed people to talk to, you know, and trying to make them feel somewhat normal, you know, sending food to people's houses, like as a, a surprise gift and things like that. And, um, you know, just trying to trying to make people feel normal in the unnormal <laughs> times that we have, you know, and, and really just encouraging people constantly, like, you're not in this alone. It's just a season. It's not going to last forever. Like things will become, it might be a new normal, but things will be more normal again. And we're going to adjust. We're going to pivot. We're going to adapt. We're going to make it, you know, and just trying to encourage people. It's really been the biggest thing. And I feel like that's just been kind of a nonstop rolling thing. Um, you know, and, and I've, I've needed that too. I'm not like just the only one giving that, like we all get exhausted. Cause when you're, when you're constantly giving too, you get exhausted from that and you need to have your cup filled up. So, um, that people have definitely done that for me as well. And then maybe it's back to your first answer, but what's, what's your escape? Something that really genuinely makes you laugh out loud, maybe something with your family or something else that you turn to, to, ha to have a good laugh. Um, when my kids tell me stories, <laughs> they, my kids are always making me laugh. They're very creative. They're very silly. And I mean, they're between five and nine. I've got four of them. And so somebody is always up to something. And my, my eight-year-old is a self-proclaimed artist and made all these little acorns people today and made an entire stop motion video with it and it was awesome she put sound effects with it everything and it was great so my, my kids are always making me look excellent uh laura really really great to talk with you and kind of go back over your journey and hear about all the rest of uh, your plans here for next summer and wherever it takes you best of luck the rest of the way here and hope to see you uh, in tokyo next summer awesome thanks so much for having me on this was fun mm -hmm.